0: greetings this lord's day in the name of jesus christ our lord and savior jesus truly is the way the truth and the life Amen? amen today he has called us into this place as his people to worship his holy name i know going to church is not always easy in fact the whole idea of church is contrary to our our nature you know we've worked all week we get some time to do what we want to do, and we got to get up early in the morning and put on nice clothes and come to the church in the morning. This is not something the body is wanting to do, right? Come on, admit it. But what happens is when we do it, all of a sudden we find when we die to what we would rather do, we'd rather you know, lay with a pillow over our head and sleep all day, we find that what we would have if we did that would be so much less than what we get if we get up, Amen. And soon what God does is he brings us into a community of believers. And we begin to know each other and love each other and serve each other. And we need each other. Amen? Amen. So that's a way of dying really to what you want. This is how God works. There, is, there are multiple, multiple times that we're called to do things that we don't like, that we don't want. But we do them anyway. We die to what we want and we do what he wants. And you know what we end up finding? What we get is so much better than what we would have gotten any other way. Amen? David understood this. Uh, He understood what dying to self was as he prayed his prayer in Psalm 51, his prayer of repentance for a great sin he had committed. He stood on his balcony and overlooked and, and saw something he wanted. We've been dealing with this commandment, covet not, things that belong to your neighbor and his neighbor had a beautiful wife he chose his own way instead of doing what he wanted and what did he get from it but pain and death and difficulty and suffering and shame right and he prayed this he said have mercy upon me O god according to thy loving kindness according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Isn't that what sin does? Sin wants to put itself right in front of your face to keep you from even dealing with people and separate you from those that you love. He understood something. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when I speak and clear when you judge Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. There's a lot in that. He realizes that God has punished him sorely that he has brought great pain upon him, but he knows that punishment is from God. Amen? The Bible says, Faithful are the wounds even of a friend. Hide thy face from my sins, O Lord, and blot out all my iniquities. And he cried out to God, and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O Lord, thou wilt not despise these things. Do good in thy good pleasure undesigned. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem, and then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with the burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon The altar let us pray today and ask God to give us that kind of heart that understands that we need to die to our (coughs) desires that are contrary to God's will let's pray Heavenly Father we love you we come before you today having already done a little bit of dying this morning as we came in and into your presence Lord it's been so much easier really For so many years, when we have seen the goodness that comes from these sacrifices that we offer you, we find are not really sacrifices at all. They're really just great blessings. Lord, we come before you sinful, and we know that you will wash us, as the psalmist prayed that you would wash us, cleanse us today. We know that you are able and that you are willing. We come to you hungry, but we know that we will not leave that way, for you will fill us with food from heaven. Lord, change us. Lord, let the new man in us be renewed day by day, Lord. Help us, O God, to arise, to walk in newness of life, and go out into the world to do the things that you have commanded that we do. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said? Amen. Amen. standing for just a little bit here. I'll read my text. is short. My sermon today is called Not This Way. Everybody say, Not This Way. Not this way. It, it is a sermon about doing what we don't want to do. All right. John chapter 14, starting out in verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Let us pray. Lord, as we go to your word and we are wanting to get from it what you were teaching to your disciples that day, I pray that you would speak through me. That you would speak to all of us today, Lord, that we would be uh, in a place where we understand it, and that we would apply it to our lives, that we would not be merely hearers of of the word, but we would be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we talked about the way home. That's what Jesus was going to be showing them, the way, when he said, he's the way. He was going to be showing them over the next several chapters in the final day of His life, and the final hours of His life, He was going to be showing them the way home. Jesus was on His way back to the Father. His journey would not only be for Himself, but it would be to show His disciples their way too. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He assured them that he was paving the way, that he was preparing the way, and a place for them that where he was going to be, there would they would be with him. They were about to be shown how death of the flesh was the way home. Death of the flesh. Not that way. That's not the way. I mean, if I were going to take, hey, the way to my house is to pull up to the intersection and get run over by a tractor trailer, you go, no, I'm not going that way, Right? you got to go up there, and when the tractor-trailer comes, you got to pull out, and the tractor-trailer is going to run over your car. That's that's how you get to my house. How how many of you would go, I'm not going that way, right? Come on. I know this sounds like a silly analogy, but the way to life is death. And the flesh goes, no, not that way. That's not how I want to go. I have other plans. I have another way. I think I can get there another way. So he's telling them about two different kinds of death. That is the way home. Neither of them are pleasant. Neither of them they want any part of. Neither one of them you want any part of. But they are the way. The first kind of death would be the death. Of the contrary will and desires that your flesh has. Those desires that are opposed to God's commands. The things we don't want to do. That we do. The things that we do that we don't want to do. Death precedes resurrection this death does too this death in the flesh is what would precede the resurrection of the new man if you don't die to your flesh while you're alive to your wills and desires you will not be renewed day by day and be be this new man you won't be that man it is something that you need to do and that you will be doing day by day this death precedes resurrection of the new man who always wants to obey God. Now, secondly, Jesus showed them another death, that their bodies would die as all men had done before, before their final resurrection. You know, in order to go to heaven, not only do we have to die while we're here, you know, in the flesh, alive, walking and talking, but then there is a literal death, and that death, our life to us, should become worth paying. You know? Uh, You know, to know that you may go and talk to someone and tell them about Christ and they may kill you if you do it, you have to be willing to say, so what if they do? You guys ever heard the story of Gladys Allyard? She was in China and uh, wanting to serve the Lord. And there's a there's a scene in that movie that is just, you know, it's one of these things where a movie can take you to where you should go. And there are movies that take you where you shouldn't go. But Gladys Allyard is working and she's wanting to, to, to do something good for Christ. She's in this town and uh, in China where she has a little a little place for people to stay and uh, She gets a relationship with the locals there and she makes friends with the people in the local prison Well the people in the prison uh, are superstitious and but they know she's a woman of prayer and she has loved them and been kind to them and there's a riot that breaks out in the prison and many people are dying because the people in the prison are their food's being withheld from them and they're mad and they're willing to fight you know well so they're like we can't go in there everything's going crazy we don't know what to do she opens the door and she walks in the prison and there's a scene them this guy's running with a with an axe or a hatchet and he's running straight at her and she's just walking toward him And he comes and he's like, ah, you know, he's going to hit her and she just stands there and the guy stops. She went in there and in the true life story, she changed what happened in that prison because she said, you know what, my life, if they kill me, that's okay. I'm still going to go. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm still going to go and I'm going to try to help. So there's two kinds of death. There's real death where it says, hey, you know what, my life isn't more important than the gospel, My life isn't more important than my brother's. And there's a day-by-day death. These are the two things. These are the way home that Jesus is teaching. As Christ lived and walked the earth as a man, He overcame temptations Himself. The Bible says, In all points He was tempted, like we are, yet without sin. We, We may think that Jesus did not have temptation because we know He didn't have sin. It may even bother you to think that Jesus wanted to do things that he shouldn't do. Does that bother any of you? The Bible says Jesus was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. So temptation is not a sin. Succumbing to the temptation, doing the wrong thing, it is. And so Jesus had to die to the temptation. You see, sin is wanting to do something other than what God has said you should do or that you should not do. And there were times Jesus wanted something different than his father, right? You guys remember that, right? He's even praying one time, right, Steve? He's like, Lord, he's like, if there's some way for, for, for other than me being crucified, if there's some way other than this, can we do that? He's sweating great drops of blood. We'll get into that. Jesus did not want to do that. And you go, well, he did. No, he didn't. His fle- no flesh wants to die. The strongest instinct of man is not hunger. It's not to have a mate. It is self-preservation. And the flesh does not want to die. It wants to live. And it's pretty voracious when it comes to that. That's a whole other subject. Well, same subject. Jesus died to his own will and he lived to do the will of his father. We talked last week. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. I'm not coming to speak my words. I'm not coming to do my work. I'm coming to do the will of my father. Say the words of my father. He was directing them to the father. This is the way to heaven. The old man, the flesh, does not want to do what's right. He wants his own way. And dying to your will and your desires is not easy. And so there's even one scripture that says you haven't resisted to the point of blood. You know, some of us are like, well, we just got overcome with temptation. Like, well, how hard did you fight it? You know, what what kind of roadblock did you put in your way? You haven't resisted to the point where you like were willing to draw blood, you know, right? Remember when we talked about be careful for little ones? So, you have to really be willing not to hurt other people so much so you'd be willing to cut your own hand off or pluck your own eye out if that was the way it's going to be. Take extreme measures to not hurt others, to not sin against God. This is a constant theme throughout God's Word. Now, we don't do this so that we can earn salvation or do it to impress God. We do it because if we want to know the way to have God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we've got to say no to what our flesh calls us to be doing that God says we may not do. Does that make sense? We're not people who are trying to pay for our salvation. We couldn't do that. We're not trying to, you know, have our good works outweigh our bad works so that in the end when we go to heaven, God goes, all right, you did more good stuff than you did bad stuff. You're going to make it in. We don't believe like that. Amen? But at the same point, the Bible says we're to be holy. As he is holy in all manner of our life and conversation. We're not to be the people who go, well, I'm only human, and just go off and do your thing. That's not what a Christian does. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, in his first epistle in verse 31, Paul said, I die daily. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty straight statement every day. Do you die daily? Are you literally dying daily? Are you literally like really choking down and not doing the thing that you want to do? Are you really doing that? Paul said, I die daily. He laid out in his lengthy explanation of the doctrine of two resurrections in 1 Corinthians 15 that he dies daily so that he can do what? He can live daily. And then one day he's going to die so that he can do what? So that he can live forever with God. There is a double resurrection kind of a thing going on to be less theologically precise uh Travis you're my you're visiting don't go and tell those guys how theologically imprecise I am by saying the double resurrection all right just kind of just gloss over that and by the way welcome Travis and Jonah we're glad to glad to have you buddy glad you're here with us now when he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter four he he lays this out in such a way uh, that it makes it a little bit mo- more clear when he describes that living in our bodies as these immortal beings is kind of like having treasure in a jar made of clay, all right? You've heard about, you know, there's even a band named Jars of Clay, right? Second Corinthians 4, 17. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? Dust will return what? To the dust. If man dies, he's just going to become dust again, right? So that's what it means. You have this treasure, this immortal part of you living in a mortal body. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, God isn't uh, looking to be impressed by your willpower, okay? And next week we're going to talk more about how God helps us do what we really can't do by ourselves. We should still be trying to do it. We should still be trying to kill the flesh. We should still be dying every day. But ultimately, what we're going to find is that's not even enough. Because death is not enough. What do you have to have? You have to have resurrection. But, but before you have resurrection, you have, you have death. Flesh and blood will not win this battle. But we're still going to fight it. He said, "We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed; perplexed, but not in despair; persecuted, but not forsaken; cast down, but not destroyed." He says this, always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. What could that mean? Paul says he dies daily. He says that we as Christians are always bearing about in our body—say your body—the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest. In our body. So this is about our body, our flesh right now, right? So how the life of Christ is resurrected in that resurrection, this new man happens in us, it happens first from a dying. There is something that happens to us that goes, I want to do the wrong thing here. I don't want to do this. But I'm going to do it anyway. Paul said we're always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He's talking, now he's on a whole nother. He says, we're getting killed. Your Christian brothers are dying. They're being made torches in, you know, Rome. And, these things are happening every day. There's two things going on. We're dying to our desires and we're dying and we're being killed in the Colosseum too. And this is all to show the two things that we're supposed to do. Die to our will and desire that Christ... And the new man can live and die in our flesh and show that, it, that our, this is mortal and it's temporary and we're going to live to God. This is what Paul's teaching about here. Our flesh is mortal. It'll die. It'll return to the dust from which it came. We cannot with our flesh enter into heaven. God has made provision, though, for what we need. Amen? We're going to talk about next week about the power of the Holy Spirit in resurrection. Power in our daily life. Before we get to the, that, we got to go here, right? Before you get the tomatoes, you've got to plant them in the ground, right? And that's where we're at right now. Before, hey, before you harvest the garden, you got to get the ground, you got to put the seed in the ground, and that's what death is. We're having the same spirit of faith, according it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Uh, he says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up by Jesus and shall present us with you verse 16 he goes on to say this is all in 1 Corinthians 14 if you want to read it later read it he said for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day are you hearing this theme again I die daily but I'm also renewed how day by day And you're not renewed daily, day by day if you're not dying day by day to your desires and the things that you want to do that are contrary to God's will. And I keep making this point because some people think that it's wrong to have desires. And it's not. It's the desires that are contrary but they say desires contrary to the will of God. We'll get to that in just a minute. All right? Our day-to-day life will be dying daily, resurrecting daily. This is the way home. This is the way to heaven. It's the way to have heaven, the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how it's going to happen in your house, in your life, with your relationships. Our light afflictions, but for a moment it works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You heard it said in scripture, mortify or kill the members of your flesh. Crucify the flesh. Put the old man to death. It's a constant theme of scripture to die. So what does it mean, though, to die? How do we do that? You might be going, I'd like to do that. I don't really know what that means. I don't know how to do that. To die means to refuse to live the way that the flesh dictates. The flesh wants to rule you. It wants to tell you how you're going to respond to other people. It wants to tell you how you're going to serve God and how you're not. The the flesh has some very specific ideas about that. The first death called for by God is to die to the carnal desires that are at enmity with God. Now, all our desires, as I said before, are not at enmity with God. This is a big mistake made by people throughout the ages. Desire is not evil, but desire to do evil is. Does that make sense? And so people who have wanted to serve God got this all wrong. And they're like, anything you really, really like, anything you really, really want to do must be what? It must be must be wrong. And so they got to taking good things that God had given and make them into things that were sinful to them because they liked them too much. Folks, I'm telling you right now, the good things of God are things you will like better than the things the devil wants you to do. God invented pleasure. God gave us these good things, and the desires we have for them are not wrong. But see, the devil, like, he's like, let's throw it all in there. All desire of the flesh, and the flesh is evil. Folks, you're made in the image of God. God made you to love and to want certain things, He made you want to desire closeness and intimacy, even physical intimacy. With a wife or a husband, this is God. This is not ungodly. He made you to get hungry. You know, you get hungry every day. That's a normal desire. Luke. Well, you know what? To enjoy my food too much would just be wrong. Oh, please. So is that why God made so many spices? You couldn't name all the ones in your cupboard right now. Is that why that happened? Is that why you know every there's there's hundreds of different animals and. And, and ways to cook them, and spices to put on them, and how to salt them, and different kinds of gravy, right? right. Why is all that? Oh, that's the devil. No, it's not. You see, the devil wants to take away the good things God has given us. God wants us to eat good-tasting food, a variety of food, okay? And he wants us to really, really like it. And you go, well, you know, that almost feels sinful. That's that, is not from God. You see, the devil, if he can get you to think that pleasures and desires are wrong, what's he going to do? He's going to turn you into a boring, miserable, bland, unfulfilled person. And then then he says, and that's what Christianity is. Oh no. See, all he can do is take the good things that God has given us and pervert them. The pleasures that God gives us Are his. There's pleasure in marriage, pleasure in eating, drinking, not just to live, but to enjoy. Folks, when God brought the people of God together over and over, what was the main thing they did when they got together? They ate. We talk about the sacrifices, Jason, right? And when I think of sacrifices, because I am not Jewish and I really haven't been around, I think of guys, and honestly, Stephen, right? I, I thought, you know, uh, what a waste. You know, they take these animals and they're just cutting them and their blood's flowing out and they're just, you know, whatever. What a waste. Folks, if you get to study, that's not what they did. They sacrificed them and you know what they did? They ate them. And the priest ate them. So the priest would eat part of them. Remember the story how they would throw the hook in there and they would pull out, you know, and they, they were taking the best cuts of meat. They were getting the prime roast, you know, they were getting this and all that. folks, Eating and feasting has always been a gift from God. The Bible says at God's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so He brings us into His presence, and it's like, I mean, a, a feast is wonderful because of the smell of it. You, I mean, you're enjoying it before you even eat it, right? You walk in, you ever walk into someone's house, you know, and it's and the door opens and it's Thanksgiving, and you're like, no, oh, you know. You're smelling the gravy, and you're smelling the the, the, the pumpkin pie. You guys are gonna get hungry, aren't you? If I don't start talking, you're like smelling. Oh, someone just pulled the yeast rolls right out of the oven, <gasps> and you go, "Oh well, you know, it would be better if we just drank water, and 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 we ate, you know, s- soup with no salt." <laughs> you see, that's that's the devil. Trying to get into the pleasures that God has given us because what God, God has to offer us is wonderful. He's saying, oh, you know, you know don't, don't care too much about your wife. Don't feel too deeply. Don't, don't want this or want that. It is the devil who wants to do this because he doesn't belong there. He didn't create any of that stuff. He just takes and he messes it up. He gets in where he doesn't belong. Religious leaders who saw all the flesh and the desires as evil sought to kill the desire by hiding away in monasteries. They're like, this intimacy in marriage is so wrong. You know what we're going to do? We're, gonna li- we're never going to be married, and we're going to live in a monastery the rest of our life, and we'll never, I'll never look at a woman. How do you think that's turned out for the Catholic Church today, guys? Horrible. Man was not meant for that. When God made man, he said, it is not good for man to abide alone. Now I know we have some single guys in here, and maybe so I'm not trying to blast you. But, but as a rule, most guys... We were made a certain way, but not all guys, okay? And the Bible's clear about that. So, before I'm getting so excited about marriage, and there's unmarried people in here, single guys. I got some unmarried guys living in my house, Benjamin and Nathaniel. Maybe God will call them to be single. I don't know. <laughs> but as, but as, as a rule, when God made man, he said, it's not good that man should abide alone. love. And, and, and you know, when God puts the desire in your heart for a woman to share your life with them, to have ch- this is not an evil desire, right? But they began in living in monasteries. Some of them even lived on the top of poles. Others took oaths to live single wives as nuns and monks. Never to marry, but to be, quote, be married to God. Denying themselves these pleasures was a sort of penance for what they branded as evil and carnal desires. They said they wanted to be married to God as if living that way was more holy. You see, the devil loves to fool you and to make you think that the way of no pleasure is the Holy Way. And so what happens next? Then they say, well, if no pleasure, then pain would be good too. They would wear these things called hair shirts. Do you guys know about this? And the hair shirts, it would be like, it's like wearing a, a, a you know, a not very well-made wool shirt, uh, a wool uh, sweater with no t-shirt on. You're just like going, oh, man. You know, but they're like, I'm going to wear this. And it's going to itch me 24-7 <laughs> because I'm beating down the flesh, man. You know. They would then. They started taking these things, and they'd walk around. And they would whack themselves in the back. Whack, whack. I mean, could you imagine? You know, I'm, I'm really feeling good about myself. Psh. Oh, you know, whack. Yeah, I just. I don't want my. I don't want. I'm enjoying the the breeze on my face. No, put a hood on. You know. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is where the devil tries to take our Christianity, and it's ungodly, because it's a lie about God. Amen. Self-focused society and is sinful. Sexual intimacy outside of God's ordained sanctity of marriage, or the lacking of it within a marriage, is also sin. Desire for food, good food's not evil. Some would think it was more spiritual to not enjoy your food. As I wrote, I must like food a lot. I've talked about blood a lot tonight. But if we love food more than we love other people or God, eating more than we need and we're gluttonous wasteful discontent these are these are the perversions of it right desires that lead us to choose our own way not merely the things we desire in our bodies but following ungodly desires is not the way home it's not the way to heaven here on earth in our lives it's the way that leads to death and the flesh and eternal death as well the spirit is willing but the flesh is now so much of what we can Even turn our dying, our so called dying in the flesh, into another form of sin. You've heard it said that the guy he focuses on a life of humility so much he becomes proud of it, right? This is what we do we try to work really hard to be godly that we become ungodly because we cannot conquer our sin by the sheer power of our will. You will find it's not sufficient to the task. You can achieve a life that looks right, but it's not. You will choose so-called sufferings for Christ and find great pleasure in doing them for the pride that they afford. Right? Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? They sold their land and they gave it to the church. Why? They wanted to be thought of the way Barnabas was. Look at this man. He's giving. Now we're going to keep a little bit of it for ourselves, and we're going to lie about it, but we're going to be giving people so people will think we're so giving. The end of all of our efforts is to find that they only serve to teach us that without God's constant help, we cannot live holy lives. It's only by Christ living in us and through us that we can live lives pleasing to God. It's not as easy thing. Dying is a hard thing. In the truest sense of the word, it's the hardest thing you can do. Dying daily to what you want is hard. You remember I talked about Jesus. It was hard for Him. He sweat great drops of blood agonizing not to do the thing that was before Him, but He did it. Jesus even talked about there, was, there were these sons. What, what, what's it better? The son who says, I won't do it, but He does do it, than the one who says He will do it, but He doesn't do it. I'm not saying Jesus was that kind of son, but I'm saying it is the doing of it. It's not the temptation of it that is the sin. What he did was remarkable and amazing beyond our comprehension what Jesus did. In doing this, he did what we could never do exactly. We're not the perfect sinless sons of God whose lives could pay for the sins of the world. We can't even pay for our own. I mean, Steve, if you stacked up all your sins and then tried to do enough good throughout your life, you couldn't do enough good to make up for them. But just because we can't do what he did exactly, that doesn't mean we cannot follow him, amen, in death. What God has called us to do, we can do if we die to our will. Speak his words and do his will. That's what the everyday life of the believer is like. You might be going, well, I'm not dying daily. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you you need to start thinking on it. It's what God calls us to do. If you're not doing it, you're you're missing out on resurrection life. And you you might be saying, why don't I have that? You don't have it probably because you're not dying. You know, you can ruin kids by just providing them everything that they want and everything that they need, even if the things they want and need are pretty good. Because what do they never have to do? They never have to say no. You're never saying no to them. They're never suffering. I think probably, guys, a lot of our kids are better than a lot of other kids, but our kids, a lot of them are becoming little wretches. If you'd like me to start naming names, I'll do it next week, okay? (laughs) Their lives are so good and so easy and so filled with such ease. They never have to say no to the flesh. They get what they want. Why? Well, because you can provide it. You, you, you can do it. Sometimes it's good not to provide it when you can. So they can learn what it's like. We need to know this, right? Romans 6, as Brother Andy read for us, is a treaty on this subject and I'm going to see how far I can get through it before we're done here, okay? How to die to the flesh, what it means to die to the flesh. Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, we're, we're Calvinists here. We believe that we're saved by grace, not by the works that we've done, right, guys? Right? But still yet, what do we do? You need to. So because Christ is going to forgive us, and when our sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace. Some people might go, well, then... I am I want more grace. So what am I going to do? I'm going to sin more. And he's like, no, wrong answer. <laughs> Where grace abounds, sin abounded. Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So he goes on. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he's bringing up this death to sin. Know ye not that as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Can you see this? There's a dying and a living. And it's while you're here, walking around. That's what this is about. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with, with him, or Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Say, serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Say, freed from sin. So the conclusion of being dead and living is that we should not serve sin and that we should be free from it, right? So there's a slavery analogy here. In Galatians 5, Paul compares it to slavery this way by saying, you need to stay free from this slavery that you've already been set free from. Do not go ahead and willingly put the chains back on and become a slave to your sin. You can do that, you know. Christians are free from sin, but we can willingly make ourselves slaves to sin. That's what Romans 6 is about. He said, if we're dead with Christ, we believe we shall live with Him. You're you're, you're going to heaven, okay? But do you want to live like you're going to heaven or live like you're on your way to hell? I'd like to live like I'm on my way to heaven. How about you, Benita? That's how I want to live. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no dominion over Him. He that died, died to sin once, but he that lives, lived to God. Likewise, reckon yourselves dead Unto sin, but alive unto God. You know, when I was young, I heard someone make an analogy. and I'm going to try to make a different analogy, but it's like it, okay? I'm going to copy, but, you know. If you had this wily, crazy coyote in your yard, and he was coming and he was eating your chickens, and, you know, he's over there, he's, he's hungry, and he's coming there, he may eat your little puppy dog, or eat your cats, or, you know, whatever. Coyotes are pretty bad. How many of you guys have seen some of these coyotes? Pretty rough characters, right? So think of these wily coyotes as these these sinners, alright? So, he gets run over on 71. And he's dead. How many chickens does he want to eat? Everybody say, no chickens. How how, how many of your kitty cats does he want to run off with? Everybody say, none. Do you see this? This death that he's talking about, he's wanting you to be like this. Like, even though you may really want one of these chickens, even though you may really want to do these things, you need to understand, you need to reckon yourself dead. Dead people don't want things they shouldn't have. So be dead to it. That's what he's saying. Paul was reminding them of the facts of their situation. Ours too. Christ has made us free from sin, and we're dead. We do not have to serve sin anymore. What a great... What a great liberating thing. People that God hasn't done that for, we, get, we look at them, we go, why do they do that? They do that because they're alive to sin, that's why. And the reason you don't want that is because you're not. Unless you keep allowing things in your life. He says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lesser of now, here's two words reign and obey, kind of like the other one, right? You should not serve sin, you are free from it. Do not let it reign in your life that you will obey it. So now we have a lordship thing, right? It reigns, it rules, it tells you what to do. These two important words here reign, do not let sin be the king or the ruler of your lives. Now, how do we let sin reign? Now, guys. I could talk about a hundred thousand things because sin is so nasty and it's so different in everyone's life but I'm gonna go down a little road here you guys ready to go down the road we're gonna go just for a minute when we obey the ungodly desire and it rules over us okay now there are some easy sins that you can show that are like this real easy but then we're gonna get into ones that you might be a little bit more uncomfortable with. All right, we're going to do the easy ones. Now, even some of the easy ones I know grab a hold of some of you that are here. All right? But when I say they're easy, I'm saying they're easy to point out what they're doing. These other ones are a little bit more sly. All right? Now, our current culture is addicted to chemical stimulation, right? Come on. Everybody say, yes, they are. Everybody say, yes, we are. Everybody say, yes, I am sort of I hope not too much but we like to be stimulated by chemicals all right nicotine caffeine alcohol just to name a few now I'm not saying tobacco coffee cola based soft drinks or even alcoholic beverages are sinful I think they are given to God for us for pleasure but used the wrong way they become what they can enslave you well, I know this is rough. We're going to talk about it. Many of us enjoy them too much. We enjoy them to the point of serving them and obeying them and letting them rule over us. And when we were downtown, we'd joke about, it. You, know, I'd, you know, I'd be like, the cigarette's talking to you. We'd have people go, they're like, I got no money. I haven't had money for three days. It's three o'clock in the morning. And I got to get up, get dressed and go out, dig through my car, dig through my cushions and get some money because the cigarettes are going you must smoke now, you know, and everyone's going, yeah, that's right. And they're like, I've been there, right? And you know, and people tell me these stories. Now, I've never been a smoker, so I don't know. But the cigarette is doing what? It, would you would you call that ruling and reigning and lording? Yeah, it is. We all know what it's like to have that happen in us, where something in us tells us what we've got to do and when we've got to do it, right? And it does something to us. This is wrong. Okay. This is where sin is lording over us. It's reigning over us. It's hurting us and it's becoming our Lord. And Jesus, there's only room for one Lord in our life. Amen? Do you find yourself unable to function without your caffeine? Because your body throws a fit. Your head hurts. You feel irritable. You're grumpy until you get your fix. Oh, well, now, come on. Coffee isn't a sin. Yeah, you know, Physical intimacy isn't a sin, but outside of marriage it is. Coffee isn't a sin. Uh, Tobacco is not a sin. But when it ropes you, grabs you, and rules you, it's a sin. Even in marriage, intimacy can be sinful if you worship it and if you love it more than you love the one you're wanting to be intimate with. That's what the Bible talks about. Evil concupiscence and lasciviousness even within marriage. You can objectify your wife and not love her and sin against her even while you're doing what isn't a sin. You got it? I know that's hopefully 30,000 feet enough for you to get what I'm saying. Now I hope that you're not letting the good things God has given rule you and, and destroy your relationships with those that you love, but you might be, and if you are, I'm, I would encourage you to say, you know, I better look at this again. If you voluntarily put change on yourself that you don't need to wear, folks, you're in sin. I would encourage you to ask God for help to dethrone these things because there's only room for one Lord Christ. Amen. Now, these sins are the easy ones to see in others and ourselves. And you know what? That's what we like to do. We like to look at other people's and go, you know what? They're really bad off. That's what we do. John broke them up into three categories, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Paul broke them down into 22. In Galatians chapter five, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, in murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, just in case you needed more. That's what the flesh wants. No one knows your sins better than you but the sins of others seem, they seem so much worse to us than our own because of this other slippery kind of sin called pride. We like to look at each other and go, oh, you know, I'm really praying for Jason. Inside, you're like 50 times worse than him on 12 different levels, but there's something he does. You can see, I'm praying for my brother. Why do we do this? We do it because doing this causes us not to look at who? <laughs> Similar me. And in fact, the sin of pride, you know, it's a bad deal. And, well, ha-ha, you know, we'll laugh or whatever because, you know, you can't, wear the, you can't wear the patch to get rid of that, right? Right? Pride's an ugly thing. To make ourselves feel better about ourselves and our own sins, we become outraged and disgusted by the sins of others. I, I've I found myself doing this. <sighs> Those people. You know, you feel a whole lot different about sin when it's living in your house or it's living in you. I talked to a man this week who told me a heartbreaking story about watching his little boy grow up and he was a sensitive in nature. And then he was in a public school and they said, well, you know, you know what your deal is, is you're a homosexual. That's what your deal is. And the boy hadn 't really thought about that, and the school people told him that 's probably he probably was and he watched his son go down this road of homosexuality, and it crushed him. He cried as he told me about what a painful thing it was to see this happen. Now, you know what I was glad? I was glad that this man loved his son he wasn't he he was sad for that his son had been taken down this road, have been told he was this thing. But I was actually glad that I'm sitting with the man who was not going, that stinking nasty reprobate whatever. He, He wasn't doing that. You know what made me want to do, Steve? Made me want to feel the same way. Say, oh God, touch that boy. I mean, I had uncles who you know, epitomized the manly man or whatever, but they were abusive to their wives. They were alcoholics. They were unfaithful to their wives on a regular basis. But those men were lauded to be men. They were men. And their sin wasn't so bad. But a little confused boy who's told wrong and gets into a situation, he's, he's the worst kind of evil. Now, you know we believe what God's word says about it, but we're all tempted to different sins. Right? Right? and i understand when sin is a perversion even of nature itself it can be but we get so disgusted about other people's sins and i really think that god calls us to be more focused with disgust on our own and be willing to die to them than to be worried so much about other everyone else's if you find yourself going to the drive-thru and judging the people inside and looking at the people on the street and looking at how they're dressed and, and you're living like that, you're living a wrong kind of life, a life of pride that you need to put to death. When we see people doing wrong, in our hearts it should break our hearts and say, oh, without the mercy of God, I could have been raised in a home like that. Without the mercy of God, I would be standing there, but someone loved me enough to bring Christ to me and to teach me the way of God. But I would never have known that. You know, God forbid we would be at the abortion mill and despising the girls coming in and out. We would be yelling at them and calling them names. What's wrong with you people? Sinners, some people yell words I would not even yell here in this church. And I think, if all the light of your sin could be made public, would you not be shamed before God as much as the girl coming out of the clinic? Pride is disgusting. Sin can become a prison of pharisaical pride that turns us into the ugly, unloving, hard-hearted monsters that Jesus spent his time railing against. Woe unto you hypocrites. Woe unto you blind guides. Woe unto you vipers. You twofold children of hell. You whited sepulchers. You know, I don't remember Jesus ever doing that to an adulterous woman. I don't remember Jesus ever doing it to a lying, thieving Zacchaeus. He goes and he says, you know what? I've come to your house today. He wasn't grossed out that the woman of ill repute who was certainly filthy was touching his feet. Ooh, that's nasty. Get her away from me. Jesus didn't do that. Who who did he treat with great vitriol? It was the people who went to the temple and said, oh Lord, I thank you that I am not like this man. I, I fast every Tuesday and I strain my water so I don't even get a gnat in there. Oh God, I tithe even up from my little herb garden. Oh Lord, I'm think Jesus didn't like what that guy was saying. He doesn't like when we say things like that either. We can feed the unthankful spirits in our hearts and become covetous as we wallow in our self-pity. Spending our lives looking at what we don't have feeling entitled to what others have and angry with God That you don't have the same do you complain a lot ask yourself that question do I complain about what I have my car My house my yard my washing machine my you know Lack of washing machine. I don't know I Only say that because I remember somebody needs a washing machine Elliot's have an extra washing machine, I heard, right? All right. Robinette's even have an extra washing machine. Those of you without washing machines, come unto me. Come unto Michael, and we can bring one to you. Praise God. The end of your covetous days are over for for now. But ask yourself this. Stop for just a minute. Do you complain a lot? Answer that question in your head. Do you complain a lot? Answer it. Come on, in your head, answer it. Listen to the things that you say about your life, your circumstances, and listen to here if you're giving thanks. Do you know God says that the unthankful will be in the lake of fire? We cannot find that we are contentious. You know, there, how many of you are contentious? Not agreeable. We argue and fight over everything. Is that you? We always know more than others. We know the better way, the sharpest form of some truth. Do you divide your home? Do you prevent God good conversation at the dinner table? Do you destroy the peace of others in your home in willful ways? You might say, you know, I like to play the devil's advocate. You know what I say? I think you're playing the devil. That's what I think. You know, God hates that. He hates contention and confusion and people that are filled with strife. God hates it. I know I'm getting rough. You guys, this is pretty rough. Like, you know, he should have been done. I mean, we could already be eaten. I'm not done. Some people just enjoy arguing for the sake of arguing. This is the work of the flesh. It is not a fruit of the Spirit. Folks, it's easy to see sin in others. Are you starting to see it in yourself? I hope so. I'm seeing it in myself. One of the works that Paul talked about was idolatry. At my house, I explain it like this. When you love things more than you love God or God's people, you might be an idolater. You ever see someone, you know, one of your kids, Luke, you know, they get a ball and the other one is like in tears and they're crying and they want the ball. He took my ball. Ah! You know, I, I don't know if this ever happens to you. It's, it's happened at our house. <laughs> Maybe. Have you ever seen this before? Benio? I'm like, folks. The ball, like I'm, like if the, if it's winter and the wood burning stove is on, I'm like, watch this, Whoa, you know, <laughs> it's all going to pass away, right? right? But your brother and your sister it, are not going to pass away. You cannot love your sister more than a ball, you know. And we see it in the little kids, but do we do that? We get grown up, we do that. Many of us are guilty of this with money. Because money can get us most of the things we love more than God. And the people around us. We like money because it gets us all those things we like. We can even, in the, in the guise of being good stewards and being blessed. As we are building bigger barns and heaping things to ourselves. Well, we're just wanting to be good stewards of what God has. We want to gather up all the stuff from the baskets. All the while you're loving. God says you cannot serve two masters. You may think you don't love money because you don't spend very much of it or because you save a lot. When you do that more than you love people, folks, you're sinning against them and God. Money can seemingly buy security that we long for. It can protect us, we think, from having to need anything from anyone. That's not something we should ever desire. Now, preparing for this message, and I'm I'm winding it down for... It's made me see that I, I, you know what I could use? Now, not only am I, I think, fatter than I've ever been in my whole life, but I I could use some fasting. And, you know, this might be old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy, antiquated in your mind. It wasn't too old-fashioned for Jesus to do it. Amen? Fasting is good self-denial practice. Imagine if your kids had to fast a whole day long. How would they do with that? I was kind of amazed, uh, because you laughed, Ashley, you're on, it, you're on it. I was kind of amazed at the Ninevites. Did you, did you hear what they did, how they responded? They're like, nobody, no animal, no child, no person is going to eat. We're going to fast. And they put sackcloth in. These were heathens. And they called a fast. Why did they do that? They're, they're wanting to say, all right, everything we've wanted has been wrong and what we're doing is wrong. We're just gonna stop doing everything. We're gonna show God we're sorry. When's the last time your family fasted? When's the last time you fasted? Fasting from food is hard. You'll get irritable, you'll not feel well. Have you ever tried to fast from complaining or from comparing yourself with others? You ever decide, you know what, I'm not going to complain at all. I had this, we had this, this, this one family had this horrible problem in their home. And I'm like, here's what I want you to do I want you to go one week and you're not allowed to complain at all. Some of you remember this story. They came, they told me, they're like, this was the best week we've had in our, our home in years. They're like, it's a shame it can't be like this all the time. I said, every time you, you, you want to complain about something, I don't care what it is. You know, you don't like the smell or you don't like the. I said, instead, instead of complaining, why don't you say something nice? And, and I just thought this would be a fun little exercise. It was, it was transformative for one week. Man, it would have been nice if these people could be living that But they never got it. They didn't get it. They missed it. Have you ever wanted to force yourself to not compare yourself to other people or from pointing out the sins of those around you? Have you ever thought of making yourself visit with people you'd rather not visit with and you'd rather be alone? You ever thought about committing yourself to a job for your church that nobody wants to do, including you? It's hard to defy the flesh. He will make you pay for it if you do not do what he wants, but in the end, if you can break free from this old man, the new man, the way of Christ gives us a life so much more abundant in pleasure than we could ever imagine. I can tell you right now, if I went the way my flesh wanted, my life would be utterly miserable and wretched. And I know this about myself. I gravitate towards a lot of things in my flesh that if I followed those things... I would have none of the beautiful things in my life that make my life beautiful to me. My wife helps me with this. I hope I help her. If you can break free from the old man, the new man, and the way that Christ, the life that he gives us, it's so more abundant in pleasure than we could imagine. This is the way home here on earth, the way to life and freedom and joy right now. It's how we get to heaven on earth as much as it can be. All sins will eventually enslave us if we allow them to live in us instead of putting them to death every day. Self-denial. Death to those sins that want to lord over us. It's the way home. Paul continues in Romans 6, and I'll stop, but after I read a couple verses here, he says, Do not yield yourselves instruments to unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to God. He says, You know what? When you were in the world, you were free from righteousness. You didn't, feel, you didn't feel compelled to do good deeds, did you? He said, but now that you're free from sin, why do you keep going back to that? Don't do it. He says, but I, he reminds me, he says, watch out. He said, when you willingly make yourself a slave to something, it will enslave you and you may not be able to free yourself from it. And I've seen this. I've seen it in the flesh. I've seen it with habits. I've seen it with worse things than bad habits. They destroy lives. That's what sin did. That's what it still does. Paul declared this, and I want to declare it for you today in verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over anybody in this room. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim it to be so. It shall not have dominion over you. You belong to Christ. You are free in Him. You're not like the world. Amen? This is the way home. We're going to keep talking about the way home in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to do what you can't do on your own. Some of you may be, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yep. That's where you got to come. That's a dying too. Sometimes the dying is, I just can't stop this. I can't quit this. I need help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. We all do. And Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you to deal with this alone. I'm going to send someone to help you. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the power of your word and you giving us and showing us specific directions on the way home. Lord, we don't want to just go to heaven. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven through us. We want to be those lights on a hill. We want to be salt in the earth. Help us to be that and not be what our flesh would have us to be. Help us to die daily to the will that is contrary, Lord, to You, to our desires that would exalt themselves above Your Lordship. Lord, may we bring glory to You in all that we say. As we come to the table, may we remember that's exactly what You did. You didn't have a wife. You didn't have children. You didn't have the fulfilling career, in a sense, You gave everything and every action to the will of your Father. And now you have millions and billions of children. The life that came in resurrection power. You who humbled yourself to become a servant. Who stooped to wash the disciples' feet. Who died the death of a criminal. The most highly exalted name. In human history, Lord, we can follow you in death, and we will follow you in glory and life. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinet of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.